Hey, everybody. Hey, oh, I see. You. hey, how you doing? We got an interview. We do. We cut, we let the cat out of the bag last couple of weeks, but it was a good one. It's we got the man, Dave Jorn. Is that is that showing up? Yeah, this is his book more than baseball. I actually read his book. Right. He wrote it. Uh and he talks about his life as a pitching coach at Arkansas twice. And then also in the major leagues and the farm systems, double A, triple A, or still still scouting to this day. He's scouting as a as a major league scout. Lots of good baseball stuff, but also like the book says. It's more than baseball, and uh, he tells his testimony about how God changed his life. So this is a good one, uh, a great, just a great story of of uh, a man's life and and uh, some of his accomplishments, some good baseball stuff, but also uh, just some good. I thought it was a, a good interview. What'd you and, think? And I love the interview. And by the way, I'm going to plug his website, DaveJorn.com. Try. The man has has three loves in his life, and his face lit up when we brought up all three of them. And that's the St. Louis Cardinals, Miss Melinda, and 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 his relationship with Christ. And and there's a way to talk to him. He can come to your place, talk to you about Christ, come to your church, yeah. your gatherings, and you do that on DaveJordan.com. So if you're so, looking for those of y'all at churches, you're looking for a speaker for. You know, I know a lot of people like to get sports guys in for men's events or or uh, sports banquets or, or you know, uh, or just any kind of anything, really. I mean, I'm not just saying a men's deal, but since he was a baseball guy, that kind of, you know, would yeah. be a little more of a draw, I guess. But uh, I think since he's retired, he's wanting to get his name out there for that. So go to DaveJordan.com, as Clint said. Check him out. Check out the interview. Let us know what you think about it. Like and share and uh, give us some feedback on uh, this interview, what you think about it and uh, all that good stuff. Now, how about some Sean Michelle as we get ready for Dave Jorn? One, two, three, five. You ever seen a lame man walk? Ever heard a dumb man talk? Ever seen a blind man see? I promise you will change podcast i'm your boy bigger t travis johnson coming at you from beautiful south arkansas i have my man big c clint clark coming at you from parts unknown no greenbrier 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 arkansas and folks we have a special guest clint we can you know we've had some guests where we've had to you know we had to be on our best behavior Yes. You know, and we, you know, but we, we've classed it up a little bit. 
we got a guy with some lot of experience, a guy that that mate. Hey, I, I we're going to talk about his book. Um, I read his book, great book. Uh, more than baseball, Coach Dave Jorn, longtime pitching coach, uh, two stints with Arkansas Razorbacks, and many stints with some major league teams and the farm systems and the minor leagues. And Coach Jorn, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Been looking forward to it. Now, you you've know, coached with every baseball coach Arkansas has ever had, haven't you? Um, yeah, that, that's, that's <laughs> we've had all well, two of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, two. So, yeah, yeah. You, you started out, uh, with the Was that, uh, when did you start? Uh, came in the summer of 1982. That's what I said, till 89. And then, uh, and then came back under Van Horn. Right, 2002, and then my last year when I retired was 2016. And now since you've retired, just to kind of give an update, on, we'll talk more about your past a little bit and what you talk about in the book, but um, where are you at now? What are you doing now? Well, we uh, we downsized our house, moved out of Fayetteville, and we're up in uh, Bentonville now. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I both retired. She was a, a uh, elementary school teacher for 35 years and she retired in 2017 but uh, I am uh, currently keeping my hand in baseball a little bit I, I, I part-time scout for the Tampa Bay Rays and help uh, two area scouts in Oklahoma Arkansas Missouri and Kansas so is that fun for you to be able to keep in the game and is it a job or is it fun that you get to keep going in the game you love? Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, the fun part is going out and uh, and going out and watching players and evaluating players. The job part is doing all the reports that you have to turn in. But, uh, yeah, I enjoy it. It, it, it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. What, what, what's your <clears> – what's it like? I mean, you know, just tell us kind of the – you know, the only thing I really know about scouts is, is – you know, the movie Trouble with the Curve with Clint Eastwood, you know, uh, what, what, what does a scout do? I mean, what do you, 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 you get reports from the big leagues and they tell you, Hey, there's a player you need to go look at and you go observe them or how, how does that kind of work? Well, I mean, I'm a part-time guy. So, uh, each, you know, every organization has the United States and, uh, uh, foreign places uh, covered mm -hmm. and they have area scouts which are which are responsible for knowing all the players in their particular area for instance uh the one person that i help he has just northwest arkansas then he has missouri he has kansas he has iowa he has nebraska he has minnesota and the dakotas Wow. I mean, so that's a wide area, a very large area. So you can see that, you know, he kind of needs some help. The yeah. other guy, the rest of Arkansas, Oklahoma, and North Texas, which is also not as big an area, but more players. Mm. So, I mean, when these guys can't be at two places at one time and there's there's need for uh, some uh, some more 
eyes are so, so to speak, put on some of these players. Uh, the scouting department in uh, Tampa Bay sends me there to, and they give me the name. So I, I, you know, it's not like I'm going there blind. I know who I'm going there to see. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have names from both teams. So, um, that's pretty. You'd mainly just attend games and watch them play in those games or will you go to practices and go to the school and talk to coaches and all that? No, just the games. Uh, I mean, the area guy's responsible for all that other stuff. I mean, he's got a handle on all these names. He's turned all these names into our, to our, our organization, to our scouting department. So, um, I'm just going there to, you know, just kind of put an, put another, uh, eye, so to speak on, uh, on, uh, some of the players that he's turned in that he can't be there at that time. Cause his area is too big to be in two places at once. So, um, yeah, they just tell me where to go, and uh, I evaluate. Most of it's just college guys, Division One. Like, I'll go to uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Oral Roberts, Kansas, Kansas State, Missouri, Missouri State, um, Arkansas, and all the in-state schools in Arkansas, and Wichita State. Uh, I'll even swing over to Memphis from time to time. So I'm about in the, uh, like a five hour rate about where they'll send me. And it's, it's usually, a, it's every weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday during the baseball season. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I just, one of those things. I no, just, I, I, and I know that I found that I had a lot of, you know, it's really interesting. Um, the scouting process. Now, has it ever worked that you've been at like scouting? Of course, I, you said you mostly scout colleges and I appear to be more in high school that this would happen. Where you where you go to scout one player and you're like, you know what, this guy right here, you may want to check him out. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, even on the even at the college level, and I've seen very few very few high school games. Uh, now I will go up to Crowder and watch, uh, you know, Crowder play. That's only like 45 minutes from my house, mm-hmm. you know. And they've had a couple of guys every year up there that with some good arms as far as pitchers, and I'll scout pitchers as well as position guys. So. Uh, it's not specific to any position, but yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of guys that, you know, even, uh, that are underclassmen say, for instance, that aren't eligible for the draft, uh, in, in the current year that, uh, you know, show a lot of promise. So I'll turn them in as follows and, you know, they'll, they'll be in our system as far as names that are worthy to be continued to look at down the road. Oh, that's cool. Now we, we have a lot of coach, you know, Clint and I are 46. Aren't we 46, Clint? Yeah, we're 46. Okay, I was making sure. We've been uh, at it for birthdays. Yeah. Um, we're at that age where we're starting to forget how old we are, or at least I am. Um, but we have we have a lot of friends that have kids that are, you know, or you know, that are playing baseball and trying to make it in baseball and things like that. What would you say when you go watch a kid play, besides the obvious, okay? The obvious technical stuff for baseball. Are there other things you're looking at as you're watching them in that game situation that mean a lot to you as a scout that you know the people higher up that you pass them along to are going to care about also? Well, that's a good that's a good question. It's a good point too because you know most of the time, I mean. There are times that, you know, guys are having a bad game and their talent, they're really, their talent's not really showing through. 
you know, I mean, it happens. Pitchers, maybe velocity's down a little bit. Uh, you know, they try to force something. They don't have a good game. A lot of things are going on, but it's pretty, pretty evident uh, as far as watching and evaluating the physical tools. Um, the things that you're not sure of is the makeup, the competitiveness, things like that. So, uh, you know, first thing you notice is the body type. You know, you're looking for, you know, an athletic-looking build. Mm -hmm. And after that, you just watch. I'm just watching kids, uh, these kids, on how they go about their business. I mean, you know, are, are they hustle? Do they compete? Do they work hard? Uh, you know, I'm there for batting practice, and I'd like to see guys – you know, outfielders run down fly balls in the outfield to see what kind of jumps they get because you may not even get a get a fly ball in the course of a ball game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to see infielders take a lot of ground balls. I want to see you know see if they can uh, show me what kind of range they have. They may not even get that in the game. So I mean, you, you know, you just like watching how they go about their business and you know how they compete during the course of the game. Now, coach, would you describe bigger T's build as athletic? <laughs> when you say Travis's build is athletic, though. well, right, right now I can't see anybody. I've got this uh, recorded post participant thing in, on on my screen. Well, just trust me when I say the answer is no. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Especially not for baseball, football, but yeah. Um, even then, there needs to be some work done. He's, he's got a, he's got more of a sumo wrestler's body. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, now, Coach, you grew up in uh, Southern Illinois, just outside of uh, St. Louis. Right. Grew up a big Cardinals fan, right? Right. Uh, who were some of your heroes growing up? Oh, wow. I remember uh... – I mean, they had multiple lineups, but I mean, you go way back to Bill White, Orlando Cepeda, his first baseman, Julian Javier, uh, Red Shane Dean's type second baseman, Dow Maxfield, Dick Grote, uh, Kenny Boyer, uh, uh, Mike Shannon, Tim McCarver behind the plate, Bob Gibson, my man on the mound, Lou Brock, you know, uh, Kurt Flood, uh, I mean, all those guys, I mean, throughout the years, I mean, I remember being as a, being a kid, just going out in the yard and, you know, just trying to emulate all those guys, uh, you know, playing wiffle ball or something. Well, um, of course, once again, I, I want to mention this. You've written a book you just published called more than baseball. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, tells your life story a little bit and just in some different stories now. Uh, and you can't get this book off Amazon, by the way, I bought it on Amazon and, um, and one of the few things that actually came in early from Amazon, by the way, uh, which was nice. Uh, it seems like everything here since the pandemic is taken longer and comes in later. So, uh, right. nice to get something early. Um, now when you were growing up, you didn't develop as early as some of the other kids you talked about. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I guess I started school early. I, I mean, too early. I mean, we didn't have kindergarten and, and preschool and all that stuff when I was when I was a when I was a boy, you know, so it was going straight into first grade. And so I graduated in in uh, 1972 from high school. 
And I didn't turn 18 until October of my freshman year of junior college. So I still really, I should have been a senior in high school at that point. Because as a freshman, I should have been in the eighth grade. When I went as a freshman in the, in the high school, I was five foot 92 pounds. Hmm. And then as a sophomore, like five, two and maybe 98, I hadn't cracked a hundred yet. So that would have been my freshman year. And then my junior year, I was 5'11", and I was like 140. Mm. So I grown nine inches and put on a bunch of weight. That would have been like my sophomore year, but it was actually my junior year. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I guess it was late, but it wasn't really late. It was probably more on time. It was just that I started early. Yeah. And now when you went to college, you were uh, you played shortstop and pitch, correct? Yes, I didn't. I didn't start pitching until uh, the spring of my sophomore year. Uh, I got uh, schooled on uh, hitting a little bit. I, I went out after my freshman year, and I had a pretty good freshman year offensively at the junior college that I and uh, went to the Central Illinois Collegiate League. And at that point in time, that was a pretty pretty strong league. Uh, they didn't have all these collegiate leagues that they have now back in those days, but uh, that was a pretty, pretty tough league. And I think I hit like a buck 90 or something like that. And I got introduced to sliders and better curveballs and stuff. And uh, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, it was pretty obvious that I needed to figure out how to hit or, or, or go to the mound. So mm-hmm. uh, I did a little bit of both as my sophomore year. And what uh, you went to a couple of different colleges. You started out in junior college, correct? Right. I went to Belleville Junior College. And then from there, well, it's called SWIC, Southwestern Illinois College now. But uh, from there, I went to Southeast Missouri State, SEMO, my junior and senior year. And then from there, went in, uh, you had a, got a tryout with the Cardinals, right? Right. Now, how right. great was that of being a kid? I mean, you were a kid then. Yeah, that was, that was, you know, that was. To try out for your team you grew up I mean, I just, yeah. you know, I just asked you about the Cardinals earlier, and those of y'all that are listening to this on, listen to it on audio, his face lit up as he's telling his, all. His face lit up with that question. So, I'm, I'm excited. The positions, right? Hey. All the, telling us the lineup of, you know, your childhood lineup there of the of your heroes and then uh then you get to try out for that team tell us that story and what that was like well first of all just backtrack a little bit i mean my senior year i had a really good senior year and <laughs> I, I didn't get drafted and uh i i was invited to uh, uh a invitation tryout camp at bush stadium and uh, what they did is they had all the pitchers pitch like two innings. You got six outs. And, uh, man, I was so fired up to be, be on Bob Gibson's mound and being at Bush Stadium. I mean, I was throwing some BBs. <laughs> uh, I struck out like five of the six guys and come off the mound. And the, uh, the man that was running the camp, Fred McAllister, he's, he's passed away now, but he uh, said, uh, looks like you got a really good arm, but uh, we don't have a radar gun here. Uh, we're going to have a camp next weekend in Little Rock. If you want to come down there and throw and if you throw 85 on our gun down there, our roving pitching coach will be down there with our radar gun. You throw 85 on that gun, I'll sign you. 
Well, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to play. I mean, my eligibility was up. I had, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to Little Rock. I'm driving seven hours to Little Rock. They put me up in the hotel and just kind of catered to me a little bit, you know, and asked me what I wanted to throw. And I said, I'll, well, maybe third or fourth. I'll just take my time and watch and see what's going on with everything. And I went in, out there and threw 87, 88, I think, on that radar gun. He signed me to a $500 bonus right there at Ray Winder. And then on the way home, you, you had to spend I, some of that he, money. Yeah. I got a speeding ticket in Paragould. <laughs> uh, like 75 hours later. Bring you back, bring, brought you back to earth a little bit. Huh? Right. Yeah, but you know what? Looking back on that thing, I mean, at the time, I had no clue. I'd never been on a radar gun in my life. I didn't know what 85 miles an hour was. And by the way, that radar gun that we that they used then, that, that, that recorded velocity at home plate that didn't record it out of the hand. Mm -hmm. you know so that would be like somewhere around 92 93 on, on the gun today probably because i had a good arm i just i just really couldn't hit i could throw well but uh <laughs> as i look back on that i'm thinking you have a tr uh, invitation only tryout camp in little rock or in in bush stadium and you don't have any way to measure the you know arm strength or velocity on the guys that are pitching what you do in little rock they didn't look right because yeah. evidently Cardinals only had one radar gun, and that was the roving pitching coach that had it. Oh my goodness! See, and now and now and nowadays, it like literally is in the outfield. Like you'll see it. Like you know the velocity of every pitch now. Oh yeah, I mean, there's like each organization. I don't know how many radar guns they have. Each scout's got one. I mean, so you know you it, you know this is 1976. So this is how far we've come, I guess. Is that a pretty normal thing for a uh, a scout or a coach uh, to to tell a player if you can hit this this speed, then I'll sign you? Because I say that because oh, no. that we went to high school with that uh, a scout told him that if he gave him ten pitches to hit ninety, that he would sign him, and he got eighty nine on his last five pitches, and he didn't sign him. Well, I mean, it, I, I guess that depends on the situation and the circumstances. But, <coughs> for instance, <clears throat> after the draft is over with, you know, mm. and the organization is still looking for another arm, another pitcher, you know, they may give the scout the okay to do that, with, you know, with an with a, with a individual tryout with someone. But typically, the scouts are not – they don't have the power to be able to do that. I mean, you know, they – you know, we're just out there uh, evaluating and turning in reports, and, and those decisions are made made by the, uh, the cross-checkers, the regional cross-checkers, the national cross-checkers, and the scouting directors. So, uh, the, the, the area scouts and things, they, they don't have the power to say – Hey, if you're gonna if you'll throw this for me, I'll sign you. Well, first of all, you got to go through the draft. Yeah, you know, so your name's got to be input in the draft, and then the team's got to draft you before you can be signed. So, uh, like I say, if it's a kid that's out of eligibility that has no more has no more life in the draft, uh, post draft sign something like that. Yeah, I guess that would be possible. Yeah. Now after uh, 
you know, you, you make it into the, you know, you kind of travel around and farm ball and, and a you spent most of your time, I guess, in Florida, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah I, I was there two years in North Carolina for a couple, for a year and, uh, Little Rock for a year and a half, Springfield, Illinois for a half a year. That was AAA at the time. Now, yeah. while you, when when you went to Little Rock, y'all played against the University of Arkansas. We did, and that sort of set you up for your future a little bit. Tell about that. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, uh, uh, it was 1980, uh, and back in those days, uh, the uh, Arkansas Travelers and the uh, University of Arkansas played an exhibition game when uh, the Travelers and we would come out of spring training and we'd get into uh, Little Rock and we'd play an exhibition game. Mm -hmm. And so I pitched against the, tra uh, against the uh, Razorbacks in, in the exhibition game, pitched like six innings against them in 1980. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my last year playing was 1981. And so I decided I wanted to go into coaching. So I sent out resumes and one of the resumes that I sent out was to coach Brian and he had remembered me pitching against them, you know, just that, that spring before in 1980. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I wasn't all that crazy, you know, excited about pitching against the college guys, but uh, it worked out for me. Yeah. Uh, tell about uh, what it was like heading to Arkansas that first time. I mean, uh, coaching wise or? Yeah. Yeah. And, and coaching under DeBrine. Well, I mean, I was young. I was like 28 at the time. I mean, I wasn't that much older than the players. Uh the program was really just in the early stages, you know, really of having success, you know, at 79, they went to the college world series. And then I got there in the summer of 82. So in the fall of 82 was my first year we played, we played at uh, old George Cole field, which is where the foot practice football fields are right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an AstroTurf field. We were lucky to get, two, 300 people, you know, attend to attend the games. Uh, we only had one full-time assistant at that point. It was Doug Clark. He was, he had been there for quite a while and he was the hitting coach and recruiting coordinator. And I was a full-time coach, but I was getting paid $400 a month and they were paying for my masters. And, uh, that, you know, I'm starving to death really on 400 a month having to pay for an apartment and, uh, you know, insurance and food and whatnot. But, uh, coach Brian, and coach Clark, they took care of me. They had me over at their house, you know, pretty much brought me right into their families and had me over to dinner most nights. Hmm. It's trying to help me to survive. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it hard looking at bomb stadium now and thinking how, how far, or is it just mind blowing to see how far the facilities have come for Arkansas baseball. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. It is crazy, especially with the with the new addition that they got. And there's 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 always something. There's always something. You know, there's like when we first got there when 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 Dave got the job in two thousand and two when we first arrived, 
you know, Coach Broyles is still the AD. And uh, Dave just went to him and said, we need some more seats. Uh, we need to uh, have a better scoreboard. And we need to enclose these uh, enclose the batting cage because that batting cage up behind the third base dugout, that was, that was open air at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was just berms, you know, a, a grassy berm down both sides, left field and right field. And uh, we had a little dinky scoreboard. So that was the first kind of phase. And then it was the suites, partial suites, both sides, and then full suites, both sides, and then the indoor. And now, now this new training facility and locker room facility they got, I don't know if you guys have had a a chance to see that or get in there, but that's, that's incredible. (laughs) So the days of having to work your tail off to recruit and bring players in, those days are long gone. I mean, with the success that the programs have having now and the facilities they have in the league that they play in, it's almost like you can kind of reach out there and pick anybody that you want and have a good opportunity to get them these days. Sells itself. Right. And we, and we had Michael um, Michael Turner on the podcast, the, the catcher, mm-hmm. last year. And, he, and he, he talks about, he goes, at Arkansas, he goes, you really can get as good as you Yes, right. He goes, if I want to set up a machine tonight and go field ground balls, I can, I have the ability to do that. But when That's I go, he goes, he goes, you you have all this ability and you have all you have every piece of equipment you could ever imagine, mm-hmm. just there at your disposal because yeah. you can get That's as good as you want. That's right. I mean, you got you you have you have all the facilities to, to help make you better. You have the coaches to help make you better. You have – if you fail, it's on you. I mean, whether because maybe you can't handle the stage, the stage is too big for you, expectations are too high, you lack enough confidence. But if you're confident you got work ethic, you can do – you can you can get to wherever you want to go. Yeah. Well, now, now – now no, go, go ahead, Travis. I'll let you go ahead. Well, you went from Arkansas – you had a chance to go into the pros as a – did you You went as a pitching coach first, I believe, right? Right, that's right. But you also spent some time as a as a manager some, didn't you? I've done, I've done a little bit of that as well as a, a, a scouting. Um, yeah, I left <clears> in <throat> 89. I mean, uh, I thought that was the best – best road to travel I, I wanted to be a major league pitching coach that's you know I wanted to be at the top of the game so mm-hmm. I, I didn't see that my, myself having that opportunity as a college coach so that's why I left other than that I would have stayed at Arkansas forever I love I love the people I worked with and I, I love coaching the players I mean everything was great but uh, as far as my goal it was to be a major league pitching guy so uh you know, after a, uh, after six years or so of that, seven or eight years of doing that, you know, just being at A ball, double A ball, some, some winter ball in Venezuela, this and that, it didn't just didn't look like my opportunity was coming around. So when they asked me if I wanted to manage, I uh, I I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. But that really wasn't my cup of tea. I didn't really I didn't really like wearing that hat. So. Well, well, what I, is it about what is it about being a pitching coach versus being a manager makes it better fit for you? Well, I mean, 
the manager, I mean, he's, he's like the head coach in, 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 uh, in college. Right. So I didn't really want to be a head coach in college either. I didn't want to wear that hat. I, I, I liked being able to give my, uh, voice my opinion and give my advice to the head coach without having all that, uh, you know, everything on top of me and having, having the responsibility of all that. Mm -hmm. So that just isn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't responsibility of having the whole team no that makes sense now in the, in the pros you were um or you know in minor leagues and all that you were with the yankees and then i believe you went to the mets mm -hmm. and then um during that time and of course and i want to i want to get to this part because this is really the main point of your book uh because your book is called more than baseball right and we've been talking mostly about baseball here but um you were throughout your your book that tells the story about some challenges you face and sometimes you had some heavy disappointments and some maybe some bad decisions you made that that put you in those situations or whatever and at that time you were having some problems with your your marriage and um and then Dave Van Horn gets the coaching job at Arkansas right tell, tell about kind of what was going on then and what, and the, and the decision to come back to Arkansas. Yeah. Um, I was involved, my marriage, it, it, it had pretty much for all intents and purposes, it, it, it wasn't going to be fixed. It was just my ex-wife just did not like being alone you know, because when I was coaching, I would leave in March and come back in September, and she didn't like that. Mm -hmm. She didn't like, uh, you know, being that way. So uh, after a while, I went into scouting, you know. I, I tried to save it by going into scouting where I could uh, be responsible for an area, know the area, cover the area, schedule the area, and be home whenever I needed to be home and be gone whenever I had to go. I thought that would be the next best thing. And when Dave got the job, I was on my way. This was after the draft. I was actually on my way to Quad Cities. I had responsibility to cover the uh, Midwest League. Uh, the amateur scouts also have, have some duty in the summertime to evaluate uh, minor league talent mm -hmm. uh, for potential, potential uh, uh, trades whatever it might be, just to have an eye and evaluation on some of these players. So anyway, I was on my way there and I called Dave to congratulate him. And he says, uh, well, first of all, I got to backtrack and tell you that part of my scouting area was Nebraska. And he had really good players and I was at Nebraska a lot. Mm -hmm. And not only that is, you know, I was in Dave's wedding in 1987 when he was a grad assistant at Arkansas when I was still there. So you know, we knew each other very well and we had a friendship. Mm. And so I called him. And then when, when I did, he says, have you had enough of that pro ball stuff yet? And I said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I have. And I thought this would be a better opportunity. I wouldn't have to travel hardly at all. You have a one stationary place to be, you know, one home base that you're working from and you're going to be home every night. Then I thought, you know, that's going to be a great, that'd be a great idea. So we went down and took a visit and I, t I said, uh, 
What do you think? She says, that's your, your, that's uh, your decision. And now y'all wasn't married when you were at Arkansas before, right? No, no, we weren't. We were not. So she says, that's your decision. And I said, well, okay, let me think about it. And I called Dave the next day and I said, I'm going to take, I'll take the job. And, uh, I told her I was taking the job. She says, uh, well, I'm not going. And I said, well, that's your decision, but I'm going. And that was pretty much the end of it. It was headed that way anyway. And so when you got there, you were kind of, as far as in your life, you were, you know, even though you got this new job, personally, you were kind of in a downward swing, downward spiral. And you, well, had, grown up, you had grown up religious, but I used the word religious and not, you didn't, in your no. book, you talk about you didn't have a relationship with Christ. You were catholic you went and did all the things that as a catholic you do but you wasn't body in i guess well i knew there was a god i mean you know i knew there was a god but i, I you know uh i thought being a christian was uh was not going to be any fun man you know i thought that was going to be too difficult but at the same time i also knew that i was missing out on something in my life there was something missing in my chest and I didn't know what it was. I mean, I would search and try this and try to go buy myself something here or do this or do that, try to fulfill something that was missing. And then uh, it was gone after after the chase was over, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I had accepted Christ a couple of times in my life, you know, earlier. But I professed that with my mouth, but I never really believed it in my heart because nothing changed in my life. So it really wasn't until 2004 when, um, when old bitter Bob being me was totally broken and that I finally accepted Christ. Tell us and, about that story. What, what was the guy's name that with the Arkansas Josh, athletes outreach? Josh Foliart. We had just gone to the, you know, Josh, Josh worked for AAO, which was Arkansas athlete outreach. It's our, it's our like uh Christian, uh, organization on campus uh coach browse uh did not allow uh fca uh on campus or any of that stuff so it was aao and you know a bunch of different uh young men actually uh were assigned to different sports at the university and josh was who was assigned us and he was around the the ballpark the clubhouse the locker room he was he was there all the time and he was doing uh Bible studies with the players and, you know, he'd be there and I'd see him and I'd go the other way. I mean, he was threatening me. I didn't want, I didn't want to be happy at that time. I was perfectly content with being angry and miserable. (laughs) And, uh, you know, then he's even in the dugout and I'm like, Holy crap, I can't get away from him in the dugout. You know, I can't be dropping my, I I felt like I couldn't drop my F bombs, you know, and be myself in the dugout. And I was, I was really threatened by that. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we went to the College World Series in 2004, right? You'd think a guy'd be happy, you know, on top of the top of the world. Heck, the Razorbacks hadn't been there since 79. It was only the second time they've been. Mm. And uh, we were having camp one, you know, late summer before school started in the fall. And Matt Deggs was our other coach. And he and I got into it. And we were about to go to blows. And... Uh, you had won that fight, though, right? 
I don't know. That would have, you know, Matt was, Matt was pretty ugly and tough. He was a tough kid. And he was a lot younger. He was younger than me. and But he was like my little brother. And, and here I am. We're going to go to blows. And then we just calmed down, didn't speak to each other the rest of the camp. I uh, went to the office the next day, and I'm sitting in my office. He's sitting in his next door to me. You know, we had offices in the suites up above uh, the third base uh, dugout. Mm-hmm. and uh, I'm blaming him for all this. And then after a while, it's like there's a voice telling me, you're an idiot, man. It's all because of you. And so yeah. it humbled me to go next door to, to tell Matt that, hey, man, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I'm, I've been a mess for a while now. And he, you know, he was, of course, agreeing with that. And so we went in the suite next door. And uh, called Josh Foliart, and I was on my hands and knees crying like a baby, man, accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That was in sep- September uh, of August of 2004. That's great. Now, my life. How did that? Uh, how did that change you as a? I know it changed you, but you know, what are some specific ways it changed you as a coach and and all that? Well, I know for about six months, I, I couldn't <laughs> could discipline hardly anybody, man. I had the Holy Spirit. He was buzzing on the back of my head all day long for like six months. And I was just, I was just in love with everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, now really what, what happened was, uh, you know, I always, you know, I was always really tough, but, but really uh, most of my focus centered on me, kind of. You know, I, I didn't want to be in the forefront, but I wanted to be respected by how my players performed. Mm. And I wanted to be recognized by that. And so there wasn't as much relational stuff as there was after I was saved. Not a lot changed. I was still trying to get them to understand, you know, how, how, how to be a man, how to be, you know, a good man, a, a man that's going to, you know, know, know what hard work is. He's going to be respectful. He's going to be responsible. He's going to, he's going to be, be able to learn to do all the things that it's going to, that he's going to need down the road when he becomes a parent and, uh, the relation, all that just, you know, it was never about me anymore at all. My life was never about me. Well, and of course, to make that even more so God put, uh, lady named Melinda in your life. Tell us about her. Yeah, he did. Uh, that was, that was crazy because, uh, uh, Josh and I became really good friends and, you know, he kind of mentored to me for a while and, uh, he was taking a college class, uh, that he needed, uh, for like a non-traditional type of, uh, teaching certificate. And he was taking this class at UA Fort Smith and uh, Melinda was teaching the class. And Josh kept telling me, I've got this lady that I think that you, you, you would like to meet. And I said, yeah, okay. Well, we finally, he introduced me to her and we wound up getting married. So here's the guy that I don't want to have anything to do with. He helps lead me to Christ. And then he, and then he introduces me to the love of my life. So only, only by God's grace. Sometimes. I want to say this, and 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 Miss Melinda will be happy to hear this if she doesn't watch this on the YouTube. But your face lit up just as much. We're talking about Melinda as it did the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, 
I, I wanted to point that out. That Tories and Brownie there. She's wow. incredible. I'll tell you what, I almost didn't marry her either. I knew I loved her, but she's got MS and she's had it since she's like 28 years old. She still does pretty good with the disease. But uh, I was really, I was really afraid of that disease and I almost walked away, mm. but I just loved her too much to be able to do that. So uh, that's a great story in itself, you know, just, uh, you know, God bringing y'all together and, and mm -hmm. you being able to get back. Cause that would be scary to think about, you know, it's, it's scary to think about marriage, let alone think about what, could happen toward the end of it. Of course, anybody gets into marriage, you don't know what the end of it's going to be like. You don't know what, you know, what's going to happen. So. Absolutely. You know, I didn't think about it at all. You know, when we were dating, I mean, we met in 2005, like in February, 2005, it wasn't long after I was saved. And, uh, we got married in like, I want to say April, yeah, April, April of 2007. So we dated for a long time and she was still living in Van Buren and, and teaching at Van Buren in Van Buren. So, um, you know, we worked, we worked it out, but I mean, my point was that I never thought about the disease and stuff until I got really, really, really close in our relationship. And then I was like, Oh man, this is a little scary. Yeah. So I just, we just talked it out and talked it, prayed about it. And yeah, it was a no brainer. Yeah. Now, one of the best things about your story with her to me was the story of your first date. And it wasn't, it was just a blurb kind of in your book, but for some reason it was just funny to me that you go on a blind date with her. You never met her. Right. Accompanying you on the date. Uh -huh. the guy for the minister from you know what was his name um yeah, josh foliard josh foliard and then one of his one, pictures and his one, girlfriend one, went along one, with him yeah trey holloway <laughs> and his girlfriend Kristen, who my uh, wife taught in elementary school <laughs> oh so she she already knew him she knew yeah she knew josh foliard uh, uh trey's girlfriend who it's his wife now so that makes uh, it a little more different that she's on a blind date with one of her former students, <laughs> one yeah. of your current players. That was, I just, I thought that was kind of cool. I think as a, if, if I was the player and that kid, I think that'd be a neat thing to be a part of too. Well, then we were kind of oblivious to them for most of the night. I mean, well, yeah. you know, we just, that's how you know it's a good blind date, right? Yeah. <laughs> Added, a, added away like we had known each other forever, you know, and uh, I don't even remember too much about what they what they were doing or what they ordered to eat anything. I don't remember. Yeah, that's awesome. So you uh, continued coaching there at uh, until 2017, 16? 16, yeah, 2016 is my last year. You retired. I started uh, Bad. I mean, we had gone to the College World Series in 2015, and man, I was so tired. And I was, I just felt terrible. I, I had a hard time just getting out of bed in the morning, mm -hmm. and uh, found out that I had an uh, uh, 
uh, Amazon. I'm looking at my notes over here. Found out that I had a, uh, a thyroid condition. So once I got on some medicine, I was, I was okay. Mm. But, uh, that's how I don't have any hair anymore. I used to have a lot of hair, man. Mm -hmm. I did too. Hey, mine's going slow. Hey, 2000 in 2015, that same year, 2016, you know, we're still trying to get the thyroid medicines straightened out. And all of a sudden my hair starts falling out. So the thyroid condition is an autoimmune disease. And so what happened was, uh, I had, I, I got alopecia totalis, which is an, another autoimmune disease. And so like all my hair just disappeared, like the, the white you got, black. You got that later I, in the time. Thought, thought that there was something wrong with the hair follicles and they killed them. Yeah. You know, we had uh, Landon Jackson on from the football team on the podcast and he, you know, he deals with that. Mm -hmm. He he transferred in, you know, this year, but, uh, he, but that's, 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 that's wild. Well, um, now when you were coached at Arkansas, one of the things you like to do with your pitchers was take them to Cleveland Hill. We, you know, we heard about Cleveland Hill a lot through basketball, you know, Nolan Richardson was famous for taking his players there, but I never heard about, I was sure the other athletic teams used it, but uh, I never. Your, yours is the first story I'd heard from the baseball team using it. Yeah, like one one day a week or so. You know, I mean, I broke it up. I mean, we did some. We, you know, I was always tough on them with conditioning because I was trying to create tough, tough-minded guys. I just needed to know that you weren't going to fold. You you might bend a little bit, but you're not going to fold. You're not going to quit. And we did that through through conditioning because I, I really had some tough conditioning things for them. Mm. And <clears throat> this, you know, like I'd make them run a six-minute mile. I'd make them run time foul poles in 25 seconds, you know, with like 50 seconds of rest in between. If you didn't make it, it didn't count, you know. And, 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 you know, it, it just built, it just built character. So we decided that we'd just do Cleveland Hill and I'd make them run up, you know, run up Cleveland Hill and then jog back down. And we'd do it three times for like three outs to an inning. We'd pile up in my truck and some of the other, other cars and stuff and park down at the bottom of Cleveland and run up that baby and, and jog back down. Hmm. And I'm telling you, that is that is not a, a, a walk in the park. No, no. I ran down Mount Nebo once, and that was that was terrible. So I played football at Arkansas Tech, and we would have voluntary senior workouts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I get it. Five in the morning, um, be there. Um, but in the last one, he would drive us up to the top of Mount Nebo and be like, "All right, run down." Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that 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 is no, that is no. Now, how many how many pitchers have you coached that wound up wound up in the majors? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. There's been a few. I mean, you know, there's some kids from the from the eighties, uh, and there's more from the two thousands. So now, would you say that you could definitely see a difference? of the way those guys attacked work compared to the other ones that may not have made it? 
as far as like a different work ethic when it comes when it came to conditioning and you know working no. on their no i mean because they didn't have any they didn't have any choice <laughs> <laughs> you know they had, had any choice i mean i was just tough on the guys that uh you know, the, the, the 15th pitcher on the team as I was on the, the number one pitcher on the team. I mean, I just treated them all the same. I mean, I, I believed even number 15, if he believed in himself enough, he could find a way to go out there and be able to get guys out. So I always treated them as being valuable pieces of the team and respected them for how they went about their work. So uh, I think it's just a matter of more talent, you know, the intangible stuff, probably more talent. They've had more success, so they got more confidence. No, no, I, I can I can see that. It's, man, you make it to Division One SEC baseball, you've obviously have a work ethic by the time you get there. You're gonna get to even that. You'd be surprised. I mean, uh, their bar is not was not set. You know, nowhere near as high as my bar was set. Mm. I expected them to do a heck of a lot more than they ever thought they could. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you coached Cliff Lee, correct? No, I didn't have Cliff. Okay. Cliff, was, Cliff left the year – I think uh, he left before I got there. What, Dallas Keichel? Keichel, yes. Ed Keichel. He's having a pretty good career. He's had a good career. I mean, right now he's kind of on the outside looking in, I think. He's still left-handed and I believe healthy. But, uh, you know, that that uh, Cy Young year he had was uh, – that was an outlier, so to speak. I mean, that really wasn't who he was. Not that He's not that <laughs> dominant pitcher, you know. But uh, – you know, he's been let go this year by a couple of different teams. So, I mean, I, I don't know where he's at right now with, with his career. But as long as he's healthy and, he, he you know, he, he, he's, you know, he's still looking, I guess, so to speak, I, I, <laughs> what he's up to. Yeah. Now, if, well, you, you gotta, if you're in that situation, you're, you're, you're staying ready. He'll, he'll be ready when his number's called. Right. Right. I, <laughs> I don't know why he's falling off. I mean, maybe maybe he's taking it a little bit too easy. Dallas was always a tough work, a hard. You know, maybe he's you know reading the press clippings about himself and doesn't think he needs to do this or that or whatnot. But uh, you know, it doesn't take long to to fall off the mountain. You know, you, you got to keep no. you plugging. Well, me and me and Travis, we were we had a little. Missouri recap we did yesterday because we wanted this to be our main podcast. So we released that and we talked about coaching and athletics is one of the sports where somebody is always working against you. Because someone's because if your pitcher out there working on a craft, there's a there's a batter trying to figure out how to hit you. If when you're developing pitchers, someone's trying to figure out how to beat your strategy. Right. Like that. Uh, and there, now, there's a lot more lot more uh, information that the hitters are receiving these days than there used to be too. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you've got to adjust with that. You've got to adapt with it. You know, Dallas has been kind of a change up uh, arm side sink type of guy, try to throw the ball below the knees, pitch the contact, get some ground balls. Well, you know, maybe now he needs to be able to make adjustments and, and, and be able to pitch up in his own like everybody else is doing. 
Yeah. So, now, man, I don't know. You, you talk about kind of the way he throws the ball. Now, I think it was Hagen Smith that a lot of people were talking about his arm slot. Um, I guess, the, I, and what is an arm slot? And they said something about like, they won't have time to fix his arm slot at Arkansas. They'll have to do that when he gets to the minors. Why is that? What are they talking about? Why is that? Well, first of all, our, our arm action is kind of a, it's kind of a tough thing to be able to change. Um, you know, you, you, you're so used to throwing the ball a certain way. I've found that that's a very difficult adjustment to make for the pitchers. Uh, Outside of that, I don't think there are any other tough ones. I mean, as far as mechanical and physical things go, but in college baseball, it's all about winning. You got to win. Yeah. I mean, I I was always big in developing, but at the same time, winning because you can't you can't confuse these guys. You got to keep it simple. I mean, one little nugget at a time and grind it out and work on it till you got it. And then you got a kid with great aptitude to go a little quicker kid with not as much aptitude that doesn't process the information quite as well you got to slow down and back off a little bit so i mean it just depends depends a lot on the coaching you know uh philosophy on what they're trying to do and you know uh who who he is at this point he's he's he can they can win with him the way he's doing it and that's what's important right now so when he gets into pro baseball and he gets into minor leagues you know uh Winning is not near as important as the development, although some some organizations place a lot of importance on winning because when you get to the big leagues, it's about winning. You know, so there's time, I guess, is what I'm saying in the minor league to be able to get to to to, to be able to process that to make some changes. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is they'll fire an SEC coach a lot faster than they'll fire a double A coach. Yes. Yes. Most well, coach. Um, as we said earlier, there's a lot of uh, there may be a lot of parents out there that you know may be listening that they got a kid that's a pretty good pitcher in little league. You know, he's he's throwing heat. He's one of the best in his little league, and there are you know the dad's already got these delusions of grandeur in his head his kids gonna pitch for the Razorbacks and then get drafted by the Cardinals or the Yankees or somebody and you know he's gonna you know do all this he's gonna go to college Travis he's gonna be the first overall pick that's right that's right and he's gonna buy his parents a big house and they're gonna retire wealthy you know what I'm talking about right and uh because of that that kid ends up playing year-round baseball throwing year-round and possibly taking on pitches, uh, you know, learning new pitches that their arm that may end up hurting their arm in the long run. Or am I out of, should they push as hard as they can or should they be careful? Do you see, do you see that they're trying to, people are trying to push kids too hard right now? Or do you think, um, do you think it's it's okay as long as it's managed properly? I, I'm I'm really not in in touch with a lot of stuff that's going on with the kids, but I can only imagine, you know, as a parent and you know being proud of their of their child and this and that. But I think, you know, 
you, you've got to be smart about what, you, what the child's doing, what the kid's doing. I mean, you know, what age are they, uh, you know, are they 10 years old and spinning breaking balls because uh, the kids can't hit them and they fall in love with them and they never develop their arm and their arm winds up, you know, they wind up hurting their elbow or you're throwing the pitch the wrong way. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into all this breaking ball stuff at certain ages. Mm. I mean, I've always been a big believer that these young kids, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, even 12 years old, you know, learn how to throw a fastball for a strike and learn how to throw a change up, change speeds, but learn how to command and, and, and control the baseball. I mean, pitching, it's called pitching. It's not called throwing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, pitching is ball control, ball movement, change of speed. So, I mean, that's what the kids need to be learning and they need to learn how to compete. They learn how they need to learn how to have fun. They need to learn how to handle losing. There's a lot of things that go into all that development for these kids. And they do have to have some downtime. Mm. I mean, if, uh, I mean, when I say downtime, I mean, downtime of competitive throwing and pitching, you know, bullpens and this and that. I don't think, I think you could play catch 12 months a year. I think that's going to hurt your arm one bit. In fact, it's keep it in shape for, you know, for you to, to be able to handle, uh, the level of throwing that you're going to have to do when is when your season starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, some kids don't do any throwing at all. And next thing you know, the spring comes around and they're trying to accelerate the, the process and not given enough time to get their arm in shape. They wind up getting hurt. Yeah. So I don't think you can go wrong by playing catch the year round. That's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. Now, how many times have you uttered that phrase It's called pitching, not throwing? Oh, I don't know. Hundreds. <laughs> I, was, I was like, when you said that, I was like, I guarantee you he has said that. Yeah. Well, I used to tell my guys, I said, look, I don't like the radar gun. The radar gun just tells me what kind of arm strength you got. But throwing, you know, velocity doesn't get anybody out. Yeah. So I'll tell you what good velocity is. Go to the county fair, take your girlfriend out there, light up the radar gun, and win her all the teddy bears you can. That's what it's yeah. if you can get it. Yeah. So. Well, Coach, um, man, we appreciate you coming on here with us. And uh, once again, your book is on Amazon. Is there other yeah. places you can buy it too? No, it's just on Amazon right now. But let me plug my uh, my uh, website. It's called DaveJordan.com. Got it. And- uh, you can you can order a book. It'll it'll direct you to Amazon to get the book. But uh, really, this book was written. I, I never intended for this book to even be written. I was just kind of prodded into writing it, and it was really it. It kind of started off, you know, the early years. You know, without Christ was just a just an example of what people can go through and never give up. Never give up. Grind it out. Keep going. Keep working. You know, your dream is this, your dream is that don't let anybody tell you, you can't overcome and grind it out and don't quit. Mm. And, and then the second half, after I've accepted Christ, it's all about salvation. Mm. That's what my goal is right now in life. I'm, I mean, I'm, I want to go and I want to speak to people. I want, I've gone to churches. I've gone to pancake breakfasts. I've gone to different things just to speak to, to groups of people about salvation because if you'll recall, I, I mentioned a couple of times earlier in the broadcast, in, in the interview here that I accepted Christ twice in my life. 
but it never took hold because my life never changed. Yeah. And I really believe there's a lot of people out there that are in the same boat. I, they, I totally agree with you. This, you know, profess their faith in Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus Christ, but there's no evidence in their life. So mm -hmm. they're not really saved. Yeah. And, 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 and that's what, that's what concerns me. I, I, you know, I, I really invite people to go to that website and, and, and contact me and because I want to go and, 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 you know, my purpose is not really to sell books. The purpose is for the books to be sold and the people to recognize the importance of salvation and to be able to use me as a tool if they need, if they want to, for me to speak to groups or go here, or go there, or do whatever I need to do to, to, to reach people about salvation. So that's, uh, that's my mission right now. That's awesome. one of the things I tell my people a lot, you know, and I've told, you know, teenagers for years, you know, the Bible talks about um, the fruit of the spirit and fruit, you know, if, it, if we're believers, we're going to bear fruit. Correct. And I, and I can't tell you a lot about trees besides they have leaves. And, you know, I can't tell you, you know, I might can tell you a pine tree from an oak tree, but that's about it. But I know if it's got apples falling, coming out of it, it's an apple tree. And that's, that's what you're talking about. If you're, if your life is really tapped into Christ, you're going to have, you're going to have fruit. You're going to have those you are. spirits, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, mm -hmm. you know, self-control, all those different things. And, and, uh, and, and it is an important message and your book, book does do a good job of telling of the struggles you faced in, in tough times, but and also you do a good job of telling that behind, despite all of that stuff you went through, that even in that, there was a plan. And I think in our world with so many unknowns, just knowing, having something to where we can say there is a plan, there is a purpose for my life. And it's not, um, it's not, I'm not, I'm just not thrown out here, you know, just spinning willy nilly in the world. Uh, there's, there is a God and he has a purpose and a plan for me and he wants a relationship with me. That's exactly right. And this world is in a world of hurt right now. And, uh, I mean, the only answer is Jesus Christ. I mean, once he touches your life and you've accepted him and the Holy spirit enters your life, it's going to be like nothing, nothing be like you've experienced before. I mean, you, you know, People are just killing people right now for no reason. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, if you accept Christ and, and, and you're walking with the Lord, I mean, this is what's going to take care of all that. I don't see any other any other way to get around it. But anyway, that's where I'm headed at right now. That's my mission. So uh, anybody we have, we have, you know, I know some of my friends are ministers and things like that. So they can go to that website and uh Look you up if they have an event they want you to come speak at or mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Correct. You bet. Okay. Well, well coach, man, we, uh, uh, we're going to stop recording here in a minute. Stay on here so we can say our goodbyes off recording. Okay. okay. But, uh, good. but we were, we seriously, thank you so much. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for telling your story. Thank you for being willing to tell your story. And, uh, and, um, and, and like you said, it's, it's, it's an important story. Uh, you got to experience a lot of things in baseball, but life is about more than, more than more. That. Sure. Oh, it'd, be baseball. it'd be a great name for a book. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, coach, thank you so much, man, folks.
Uh, like and share this with your family, your friends. Uh, I know this is, you know, we're in the middle of football and basketball season right now, but if you got folks that in baseball, folks that need to hear a message of hope that, um, that things can change, that uh, God can change their life, send this to them, like and share. Thank you all so much for uh, for listening. We're th so thankful for our fans. This is episode 91. We're getting close to 100, Clint. We're getting there. Can you believe it? I don't know. Thank no. you all so well, much. I, Have I, a I great week. Listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great week. God bless. Sweat.